you have a Bible, go to Joshua chapter number eight with me this morning. If you don't, we'll have the scripture up on the screen for you to follow along with us as well. But by a, a show of hands this morning, how many of you have ever made a mistake that made you feel like quitting? Raise your hand. <laughs> made a mistake that made you feel like quitting. Like some of you are like two hands, like in my feet. Um, like I did today, like, right? Um, we know what that's like, right? Everyone knows what it's like to make a mistake, right? Mistakes are just kind of kind of part of life. Uh, everyone is going to make them, not just in your past, but also in your future, like get used to it. Uh, you're going to make mistakes. But I want you to think about this for just a moment. How do you typically respond when you make a mistake? Uh, how do you as an individual, as a Christian, respond uh, when you fail, when you sin, when you give in to temptation, when you make some sort of mistake, like, what is your common default response? You know, does it cause you to maybe feel like you don't have any value? Uh, does it cause you to feel a little dirty and a little unusable? Most of us, if we're honest, we would say this, we just want to quit and we want to give up, right? Uh, we don't want to go forward. We don't want to move past it. We always often feel like that, at least for me, I know that I feel that way. Right? When I make a mistake, when I fail, uh, I often feel like, man, I, I'm, I should just quit, right? Because I failed. I, and I think everyone can relate to that. But the problem isn't so much that we make mistakes, right? Most of us are like, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes probably tomorrow and the next day and uh, the next month and uh, that sort of thing. The problem isn't so much that we are going to make mistakes. The problem really becomes this, is what we do with our mistakes. Would you agree with that statement? Henry Ford said this, and it'll be on the screen for you to see. He, he defined a mistake this way. He said, a mistake is an opportunity to start again more intelligently. I like that, right? If you've ever made a mistake, you're like, yeah, I can totally, totally relate to that, right? Mistakes are opportunities to begin again, but to do it more intelligently. And it's what we do with our mistakes, right? You see, the problem for uh, a lot of people, the problem maybe for a lot of us in this room today, uh, and most of us can relate to this, is that we often believe that our mistakes define us. Uh, we often buy into the lie that says, because I have failed, because I have done things in my past, I can no longer be of service to God. We let our past sins and our past failures, we let those things define us. In fact, for a lot of us, we live paralyzed by our past mistakes. That we stay, like we started this sermon series out talking about our Jordans and crossing those obstacles in order to reach God's promised land. And for a lot of us, we stand on the wrong side of our Jordans paralyzed because of past mistakes, past sins. But here's the wonderful news. God has already overcome your past through what Jesus has already done. Amen. God has already overcome our past because of what Jesus has already done. Can you imagine with me what the church in America could be like and could do if we as Christians were willing to just move past our past? If we were actually willing to, to face the battles and find victory through the Lord Jesus Christ and not define ourselves by what we once were or what we once did, can you imagine with me what it would be like if the church today was willing to move past our past. I believe we'd see more victories, church. I believe we would see a move of God. I believe we would see hearts and lives transformed for the gospel, for the cause of Christ, because Christians are willing to move past their past. Well, I want to welcome you back to our sermon series called 
strong and courageous. And the hope and the goal is that we're actually building strength and courage in our lives, amen? Like as Christians, we ought to be growing. We ought to be building some spiritual muscle. We ought to have some courage in life. And the book of Joshua is all about that. And we're gonna discover this morning this very idea how we can actually move past our past. What are some steps that we can take in order to move past our failures and find victory through the Lord Jesus Christ? How can we conquer our enemies within and our enemies without? And Joshua chapter 8 is really going to give us some great insight in how to do that very thing this morning. And so here's what we're going to focus on, and it's our bottom line for this morning's message, is this, that God wants to help you and I move past our past. God actually wants to come alongside you and I in the midst of our failures, in the midst of those moments where we feel like, man, I'm unusable, I'm dirty, God doesn't want to use me in my life for the future and the battles ahead. In those moments, God actually wants to come alongside us, and he doesn't want us to stay there. He doesn't want us to stay in that condemnation. He doesn't want us to stay with that guilt, and he actually wants you and I to move past those things in in our lives. And he did it with Joshua. Uh, Time and time again, he did it in Joshua's life. He did it in the nation of Israel's life. And listen, he wants to help you and I do the same thing today. Move past our past and find victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you some simple uh, principles, some simple ways that we can do that this morning. But we've got to do our part, amen? Right? Like we don't believe that we just sit back and expect God to do it all right? God's going to do his part, but you and I, as believers today, as the church today, we have a responsibility, don't we? We've got to put forth some effort. We have a part to play. Well, if you were here with us last Sunday, Pastor Brad shared with us the story of Achan, right? Achan's story, Achan's sin. And Achan, of course, his sin affected the entire nation of Israel. They were to go and fight against Ai, Uh, And because of Achan's sin, they were actually defeated the very first time they did battle with them. 36 men uh, lost their lives, but it wasn't just Achan's sin. And and I think we focus so much on it, and it's true. Uh, It's it's right to say that Achan was responsible for uh, the nation of Israel uh, not being able to uh, defeat Ai. But I think Joshua has some responsibility as well. That I think that we don't often talk about Joshua's role as the spiritual leader, the leader of the nation of Israel. And I want to show you why I think that this morning. So in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua sends the spies, right? Just kind of rehash the story a little bit. Joshua sends these spies, which is very, very common, right? During those times, hey, spy out the land. What is it like? How should we approach it? All of those kinds of things. They're seeking to answer those questions. And those spies come back in chapter 7 in verses 2 through 4. It says, Joshua sent those men, uh, and uh, he said, go up, spy out the land. And the men, they went up and they spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua in verse number 3, and they said, do not have all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Don't make the whole people toil up there, for uh, they're few. Like, Joshua, this is going to be easy. There's not a lot of people in Ai. So just send about two or three thousand soldiers. Don't make everybody go up. And so, verse four, about three thousand men went up from there and they fled before the people of Ai. And if you're here with us last Sunday, you know the story. But here's Joshua's mistake he listened to the spies rather than God. 
right? Uh, it's pretty basic, right? Joshua made a choice. I'm going to listen to what these men have to say rather than actually listening to God. I mean, he never actually inquired of the Lord before he went into battle uh, against AI. Uh, and, and, and that's always a, a recipe for disaster, right? When we charge ahead without actually inquiring of the Lord. Have you ever done that before? I got this, right? This one's easy, like, I don't need any help. God, I, I'm good, right? And we charge ahead, and we often meet failure. And that's what Joshua did here. And it cost him. It cost him. And it cost the nation of Israel as well. And it really shook Joshua to the core. In verse number six, we read this. Joshua, after that experience, it says, he tore his clothes and he fell on the earth on his face before the Lord, the ark of the Lord until the evening and so did the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, which is a very uh, uh, customary thing in the Hebrew culture to, uh, to show your sorrow and the fact of your mourning in that situation. But Joshua goes before the Lord, and he prays, and, and he asks this, like, God, why? Why did this happen? What is the reason for it? And here's God's response. I just want to show, show it to you real quick. In verses 10 through 12, the Lord says to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they cannot go before uh, the people of Israel, and that's why they fled. And so God kind of explains this to Joshua. Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? There's sin in the camp. And then in verse 13, God actually repeats again, Joshua, get up. And Joshua learned a very hard lesson, I think, on that day. And I think the lesson he learned is this. And it's a lesson that you and I need to learn as well is that Joshua learned this, I can't do any of this without, without inquiring of the Lord. Like, I, I can't actually lead the nation of Israel. Like, I can't be successful in life unless I'm willing to go before the Lord. I mean, this is God's plan after all, right? This is his deal. And if I'm to lead the nation of Israel in obedience to God, then listen, I've got to actually inquire of the Lord. I've got to ask God's advice. And we've got to realize the same thing. Uh, you and I cannot go through life thinking, I've got this. I can do this on my own. I actually need him. You know, the older I get and the longer I'm in ministry, the more I realize of how much of a mess up I actually am, <laughs> uh, how weak I actually am, how wicked my flesh actually is, and that I need the Lord Jesus Christ every single moment of my life if there is going to be any success for the Lord in my life. And the same is true with you that we actually have to realize this, this, this idea. We, do, we just don't want to admit it, right, that we need the Lord Jesus Christ uh, through everything. And, and not only to you, but we, we need that as a church. And so Joshua deals with the sin, right? He deals with the sin in chapter number seven, Achan's sin. But, but here's the thing, AI is still there, right? The reality is that, yes, they failed. Joshua failed. J Joshua made mistakes. AI, uh, or excuse me, uh, Achan made mistakes. I mean, like, we can talk and talk and talk about the failures and talk about the mistakes all day long, but the reality is AI is still standing, and AI still needs to be defeated. And I imagine that if I was Joshua, it would have been real easy in that moment to have wanted to give up, right? Like, I failed. Uh, how can I move forward? I made a mistake. 36 men lost their lives. The nation is shocked, really, by what uh, had happened. They're fearful about moving forward. I'm sure some of the confidence in Joshua as a leader has probably been shaken a little bit. And for Joshua, I'm sure, I'm sure that he felt like a failure. I'm sure that he probably felt like giving up because it's easy, isn't it? It's easy in the moments of our mistakes and our failures. And we think, why, God, did I just do that? 
right? Like, why, God, did I give in to that? God, why did I do this? Listen, God doesn't want you to stay there. God wants you to move past your past, and he wants to help us do that. And so let's read in chapter 8. As we get to chapter 8, we kind of find God encouraging Joshua and saying, look, I I want you to move past this. You still have uh, a goal. You still have some battles to fight. You you still have a job to do, and I want to encourage you to move past your past. And so let's read in Joshua 8 in verses 1 through 2, and it'll be on the screen for you to follow along as well. And it says, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you. Notice that all the fighting men, not 2,000, not 3,000, but take all of them and arise and go up to Ai. And he says this, see, I've given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock shall you uh, take as plunder for yourselves, but lay an ambush against the city and behind it. We'll stop there for just a moment. We're going to discover really three principles today. In order to move past our past, if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I got a past, right? I've got some mistakes. I've got some failures. I've got some sin. Maybe, maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was this past week, or maybe it was years ago. Whatever the case might be, if you really want to move past that this morning, we're going to find some principles here that I think are going to be very tangible and very helpful for us. Two are found in verses one through two, and the third is going to be found in the latter part of the chapter. But these are three things that were very, very necessary for Joshua. They were necessary for the nation of Israel, and listen, they're necessary for you and I this morning. And the first is this, if we're going to move past our past, we need to learn this. We need to learn to displace fear with truth. Did you hear what I said? We need to learn to displace our fear with what is true. In verse number one, the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Boy, that would be a phrase, right? That would be repeated over and over and over again uh, in Joshua's life, and evidently, Joshua was afraid, right? Uh, Joshua was afraid, otherwise God would not have said, hey, Joshua, do not fear. But what God knows about Joshua, guess what God also knows about you and I? And that is this, is we have a tendency, don't we, to let fear win over truth. Like, we may know what is true, and we may even have someone say in our life, hey, you know, you shouldn't feel that way because this is true. Yeah, yeah, I know, but I'm fearful, Right? And we let fear control us, and we let fear win out over truth. We have a tendency as Christians to let fear control us in life. We have a tendency even to let fear break us and keep us from fighting the battles that God has for us. In fact, what's kind of interesting about this is that God says, do not be dismayed. What does that mean? Don't fear and do not be dismayed. Why would God say that phrase, do not be uh, dismayed? Well, that phrase actually means this, don't be broken by fear. That's what dismayed means, broken by fear. Joshua, don't let your fear break you. Christian here this morning, uh, the, the same words can be said to you and I, do not let the fear that you have in your life break you and keep you from fighting the battles and crossing the Jordans that God has for you in your life. But that's interesting, isn't it? Don't fear and do not be dismayed. And so Joshua needed to displace his fear with what was true, to displace his fear with what was true. And what was true? What did God reveal to Joshua that was true? The truth was this, hey, I've already given AI into your hands. I've already given you the victory. I've already given you the king and the land, period. It's a settled fact. That's what's true, Joshua. 
And if you and I today are going to move past our past, listen, our past mistakes, our past failures, we're going to need to at some point stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lie that you're a failure. Stop believing that the failure in life and the sin in your life, because everybody has sin, right? Stop believing that those things define you and actually move forward beyond the failures into the victories. Displace our fear with what is true. And here's the kicker. If you don't know what is true, right? If you don't know what is true, you'll always be controlled by your fear, right? If you you don't have this capacity to know what is true in life, you're always going to be pushed and moved in life by the things that happen in life and will cause you to be fearful because you don't know what is true. If you don't know the truth of Scripture, listen, Christian, this morning, fear will always grip you. But the more truth you have, the less fear you have, right? It's kind of a basic principle in Scripture. But that's why Jesus would say this. Listen to his words in John chapter 8 in verses 31 through 32. Jesus said to the Jews that had believed, people that actually truly believed in him, uh, he said this. he, He said, if you abide in my word, you stay there. You put the truth of of my word into your life. He says, you're truly my disciples. And then notice this, you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? It'll set you free from addiction, from struggles, from condemnation, from, from all the failures that you feel in life. The truth actually has the capacity to set you free. You're probably wondering why I have a water jug here up on stage. I'm not much of an object lesson kind of guy, but uh, there's, I think, a good lesson that we can learn this morning uh, through just kind of the concept of water displacement. You familiar with that? Let's go back to fifth grade science, right? Uh, the, the aspect of volume, right? Let's pretend this morning that this rock equals truth, right? Uh, the rock is what is true. And the water that's in this jar, this is our life, the water is representative of fear. And some may have more fear, some may have less fear in their life. But the concept is this, when it, when it comes to displacing our fear, we often approach it this way. How can I get rid of fear? I'm going to dump all this water. No, I'm not. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not really going to do that, you guys. So crazy. Anyways, <clears throat> we want to just dump it out. We're just like, how can I get rid of the fear? I'll just be better today. I'll have less fear today. And and we try to do that, and it doesn't work, does it? Right? We go through life, and and guess what? Circumstances come, and it just kind of fills up our jar even more. And we think, oh, man, I I get more and more fear, when the reality is is that we need to displace our fear. You just kind of watch what happens here, right? Try not to break my, my glass. As we put more truth into our lives, what happens to the water? Can you see it? Tell me what's happening. It's rising. You guys are totally not digging my object lesson today, are you? <laughs> I thought it was cool. But the more truth you put in, the more that this water becomes displaced in life. And if we were to just kind of continue with this object lesson and fill this thing completely up uh, with rocks, we will find that this water will actually begin to overflow out of our lives and be pushed and rooted out of our lives. And the same is true when it comes to failures that we would actually approach life and our failures and say, yep, guess what? I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. Joshua, get up. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Understand what is true and put the truth and the reality of what I'm calling you to do into your life and fill up your life with truth. And the more that you and I begin to know and to understand what is true and we put more truth and we put more truth and we put more truth into our lives, the less fear 
we begin to have and we're able to move past our past. Here's the truth about fear though. Fear will always keep you from moving past your past. Fear will, will, will always keep you on the wrong side of your Jordans and you'll stay there uh, not willing to cross them, not willing to fight your battles because of fear. Fear will always make you a victim of your circumstances in life. Fear will cause you to live in defeat rather than victory. And here's probably the most important thing about fear. Christians are never actually supposed to be fearful. Did you know this? That we're actually to be fearless people because God has not given you in me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of a sound mind and of power, right? The only fear we need is the fear of God. And so this is a basic principle. Displace, displace your fear with what is true. Start filling your life, start filling your heart, start filling your mind with what is true. That's why James would say, hey, whatever is true and whatever is pure and whatever is holy and whatever is just, hey, put that into your life, but we kind of do the opposite, don't we? We put all these fears and all these ideas and all these things that we hear on the news or in the world into our lives, and we live very fearful lives, but God, God doesn't want you to do that, right? God wants you and I to move past past our past, and we do it by displacing fear with truth. Here's the second thing this morning, is that we would replace our plan for God's plan. We would replace our plan, your plan, for God's plan. Here's what I mean by that, that we'd actually follow God's plan instead of our own plan in life. Uh, That we would actually let God lead us. Let me ask you a question. How often do you consult God about your life? How often do you consult God about the direction of your life, the direction of your day, the direction of your conversations that you have with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers? How often do you actually go to God and say, God, where do you want me to go in this circumstance? We have a very common human tendency, don't we, to think that our game plan is the only game plan, right? Uh, We have this tendency to think, I got this, I can go it my own way, I don't need God, and God's kind of like, hey, good luck with that, I hope that works out for you. But here's what we do as Christians. We say this, God, I'd love to have you in my life, you're welcome to come along if you like, right? God, you're, you're welcome. We want to invite, I'm going to invite God into the process of my life. And we say, yeah, come along. Like, you're totally welcome to come along, but I, I got this. You just stay there and I'll go ahead of us. And God's like, that didn't work that way. It didn't work out very well for Joshua, did it? Joshua's playing in chapter seven. Hey, AI's small. We don't need to send a lot of men. Let's, let's just send two to 3,000 men. And Joshua's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. That sounds good. Well, it didn't work out because they presumed. They presumed that they could go it alone without God, and God actually had a different plan. Let's read about it in Joshua chapter 8 and verse 2, and just kind of the, the basics of it. And he says this, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. But I want you to do this. I want you to lay an ambush against the city behind it. God's plan is really completely different from Jericho. Jericho is like, hey, go to the city every single day for seven days, march around it once, blow a horn, and then go back to camp. And then on the last day, march around it seven times, blow the horn, and the walls are going to fall down, and God does this absolute miracle. But here it's different. In fact, God actually expects the battle to be fought, not by miraculous intercession. He actually expects the Israelites to fight this battle. Set an ambush. Oh, and guess what? 
all the spoils are yours, right? Jericho wasn't that way. Uh, Jericho, God actually desired that everything that they took, certain things were to be devoted 100% to the Lord. You say, that's not fair, right? Well, God, why do I have, well, I have to give these first fruits? Really the principle of first fruits that you see all the way back here in Joshua chapter number eight. God, it's not fair. Why do I have to do this? It belongs to the Lord. But now the spoils are going to be for the nation of Israel. In fact, as you read on through the book of Joshua, you find time and time again in every battle and every place they go, guess who the spoils go to? The nation of Israel. But the first belong to God. And of course, in Deuteronomy, it really outlines all kinds of things that talk about how you take the spoils of war and how you disperse them. And so they had laws and they had rules for that very thing. But here's an interesting thought. Just think about this for a moment. Had Achan waited, he would have had all the spoils he wanted. Whoa. Had Achan just waited for Ai, he would have had all the spoils in life he wanted. But that takes faith, doesn't it? Are you catching what I'm talking about here? We replace our plan for God's plan. See, our plan says this, I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait for God's plan. I want it now. Achan sinned because he wanted something now. He wasn't willing to wait for God's plan. And we have that tendency, don't we? But this was God's plan. And what was necessary for Joshua was to actually replace, hey, you tried your game plan. It didn't work. Let's just set that aside. And let's actually follow my game plan. Obey my plan. And guess what? You will find victory instead of failure. And sometimes it doesn't make, make sense, does it? God, like, I, it doesn't make sense to follow your plan. Just, just trust me. Just trust me. And what happened was Joshua and the nation of Israel, they followed God's plan to a T. They defeated Ai, if you read the rest of the chapter. But let me ask you to consider something today. Are you following God's master plan for your life? Are you actually letting him lead? Are you actually approaching Monday morning, like preemptively? I'm already thinking about my week, because I know you are, right? All the things that you've got ahead of you, where you're going, what you're doing, who you need to talk to, the tasks that you need to, to do in life. Are you preemptively preparing right now and saying, God, lead me in this. Go before me and let me actually follow your plan. Are you following God's master plan for your life? You might be wondering, what on earth is God's master plan? Like, that'd be cool. You know, tell me. Can I tell you this morning, God's master plan is found in his word, that he has already revealed to you his will for your life. Start there. You see, we often go through life and like, I want to know God's will, and what does he want me to do? Well, he's already shown you and I a lot of things that we are actually to do and to be in life. Let's just start there. That's his master plan. And wherever you go, whatever you do in school or in work or in relationships, that you would honor God's direction and plan for your life. Start there. And so we're talking about moving past or past, right? How does that happen? We displace our fear with truth, basic principle. Secondly, we replace our plans for God's plans. And here's the last principle. And this is all very basic and all very simple, but it's often the simple things that catch us the most, isn't it? The last principle is this. We want to learn to move past our past. We need to embrace spiritual habits. We actually need to learn to embrace spiritual habits in our lives. Let me tell you a quick story. Before I graduated from college, uh, uh, there was a speaker, a, a pastor that, that came to our church in Springfield, Missouri. My wife and I were going to 
uh, Cherry Street Baptist Church, and it was a pretty big church. And uh, I remember this special speaker came. He was from New York. He was a pastor in, in uh, the, the up, upstate New York area. Uh, and he came and he spoke, and it was really just convicting and moving in my life. And I was kind of an aspiring uh, person to be in ministry and to be a pastor. And so uh, I went up forward and, and, and talked to him after the service. And I said, hey, I, I'm, God has called me into ministry. Uh, God has called me to be a pastor, and what can you share with me in order to be successful in the calling that God has placed in my life? Like, give me some advice, right? Like, that's what I'm looking for. And he said this. He said, you can only be successful in ministry as long as you minister or serve from the overflow of your own spiritual life. And what he meant by that was this. If you have nothing, you can give nothing. If you don't have the spiritual capacity in your own life, you will give nothing to anyone else in their life as well. And the same is true for you. Like, this is just not something for pastors and success in ministry and that sort of thing. It really goes hand in hand in, in life as a Christian, doesn't it? that we would understand the spiritual habits, embracing the spiritual disciplines, that we actually have to constantly be going back to Scripture to reorient our hearts and reorient our minds and reorient our thinking. Otherwise, we'll be a prisoner to our past and we'll stay in our failures because we don't have the spiritual capacity to move forward. You'll never find success spiritually if you're not willing to embrace spiritual habits in your life. And Joshua knew this. And he knew Israel's capacity. I mean, think about Joshua's life. If you go all the way back to Moses, he had this, you know, this, this storyline that he saw the nation of Israel. Yay, we're out of Egypt. Let's go into the promised land. And it wasn't very long that the people were like, we hate this. Let's go back to Egypt, right? And they get judged for their sin and they get judged for their disobedience. And so Joshua knew Israel. He knew his own heart, and he knew if he was going to move past his own past, and if the nation of Israel was going to move past their past, they needed to embrace the spiritual habits constantly in life. They needed to be reminded of why they were doing what they were doing and who they were doing it for. And you and I, constantly, constantly. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I need that constant reminder in my life. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And so check out what Joshua does. It's kind of interesting in verses 30 through 35. It says in verse 30, it'll be on the screen. It said, at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Mount Ebal is about 25 miles to the north. So think about this. Two million people, the nation of Israel, marches 25 miles to the north, not to fight a battle, not to continue the conquest, but to embrace the spiritual, to embrace the need to worship. And notice what they do. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, verse 31, had commanded the people of Israel, guess where that is? Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, go home and read it today, because Joshua is doing the very thing that Moses in Deuteronomy 27 told them to do. Build an altar, verse 31, of uncut stones, upon which no man is wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. So they build an altar, and they worship. That Joshua understood our spiritual capacity. We need to strengthen our spiritual reservoir. That if we're going to continue and we're going to move past this past that we have in our lives and move past our failures, we have got, we got to stop. And we have got to worship. And that's what we do week after week. That we start our week and we say, we have got to fill ourselves 
We have got to fill our hearts and our minds with what is true. And so they go and, and they build this altar. Uh, and, and it says in, in verse 32, there in the presence of the people of Israel, he, Joshua, wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. It's kind of interesting. They would actually plaster uh, rocks and they would make this mortar, right? Which would be very familiar from Egypt. They would be experts at this, I'm sure. And they would plaster those stones and on it, they would write the law of Moses, the word of God, the commandments to do what? Why? Why do we do these kinds of things, these memorial stones we talked about a few Sundays back? So we remember, we remember what we're doing and who we're doing it for. And all, or all Israel in verse 33 as we go on, sojourner as well as native born with their elders and their officers, their judges, they stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests uh, in, in uh, Mount Gerizim on one side and Mount Ebal. And so they, they were in this valley and there was two mountains. And these mountains actually come in, uh, into play later uh, in the New Testament, but Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And, and the nation of Israel was split between the two. And Joshua began to rehearse to them out loud and read the scriptures to them and rehearse the commandments to them. And it says in verse 34, after he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the cursing. Remember those? If you serve me, there'll be blessings. If you disobey me, there will actually be cursings. And so he read all of these things. And there was not a word in verse 35 of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not, or did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Every single word that God had commanded them. Let me remind you, nation of Israel, why we're here and what we're doing. We worshiped. They put a memorial up in order to remind themselves of God's word and they rehearsed the blessings and the cursings for their obedience and disobedience. They renewed their commitment. They took time, listen, to worship. And so here's the thing. You and I can't go very far in life we can't walk very far in life before we realize that we need the, spirit, the spiritual capacity to face the next battle, to face the next giant, to cross the next Jordan in life, that there has got to be this continual cycle in our lives that we go back and say, I need to refresh my soul. And can I say something to you this morning that might be a little hurtful, but I'm going to say it anyways. Sunday morning is not enough. That you cannot expect to come to this place and sing a few worship songs and watch me spit and make a fool of myself and have your spiritual reservoir filled. You can't. It's not enough. That there have got to be moments every single day of your life that you recognize you are responsible to fill up your own heart in your own life. The pastor's not responsible. Your friends aren't responsible. Mom and dad is not responsible for you, children, to fill up your reservoir. You, at some point, have got to take responsibility for yourself and say, I need this if I'm going to face that. And Joshua, as a good leader, spiritual leader, knew that the nation of Israel, if they were going to succeed, they needed to embrace the spiritual habits. Let me ask you this morning, what spiritual habits have you developed in your life? What spiritual habits have you developed in your life? We can talk about all kinds of things, right? Talk about singing and, and worship and meditating upon the scriptures and pouring the word of God into your life and taking truth and just like pouring it in and pouring it in and pouring it in. Do you have that spiritual capacity to, today? 
to face your AIs. Everybody has an AI. Everybody has a battle to fight. But are you filling yourself, your life with what is true? Are you embracing spiritual habits? Three simple things. Displace your fear with truth. Replace your plan with God's plan. And start embracing the spiritual. Develop some godly habits. I'm going to invite the worship team back up at this time as we get ready to close this morning. But I want to remind every single person in this room. I want to remind us that we have a part to play. That that, that there's probably a majority of the people in this room this morning who would say, I have a past. Join the club, so do I. And sometimes that past is nearer than at other times, right? Sometimes we feel the effects of it more so than than at other times. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's way far away and it's not really hindering me. But sometimes it just feels, feels close and it feels real. And just like Pastor Brad shared and was honest, like, man, I had a bad week. Guess what? Let's not kid ourselves. We have bad weeks. We have hard weeks. We have challenging weeks. But are we actually willing to build into our lives as God's people the things that we know are true that God has already given to us in order to succeed, in order to face the next battle, in order to walk through the current battle and say, God is real and God is with me. And he's giving me strength today. Do you know that God actually wants you to walk through life that way? Not just for you. Not just so you can have success. But so other people can look at your life and see, you know, maybe God is real. Maybe the love of Christ is true. And maybe Christians aren't all a bunch of hypocrites. But maybe there are some genuine, authentic people in life who model not self-righteousness, not I have it all together, but my God does, and I'm gonna serve him. And I'm gonna do what it takes in my life to move past my past. Christians in the room, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do the hard work? Because it's hard work. It's not always easy. It's challenging, it's messy, it's emotional. But are you willing to do the hard work in order to move past it all? There's somebody, there's somebody in your life that needs to see Jesus modeled through you. Not just how you handle the successes and the victories in your life, but how you and I handle the hardships and the challenges and even our failures. Would you stand? We're going to worship. We want to close by directing our hearts and our minds to the Lord Jesus. I don't know what you need to do this morning, but I want to encourage you that you would take a step. Maybe for you, it's just the simple truth. I need to start putting truth into my life. I don't know what is true, and I want to know what is true. Here's the simple truth. Jesus died for you. He paid for your sin. The great reality is that we don't have to walk through life condemned to sin forever. Jesus paid it for us. And when we confess him, when we take him, when we believe in what he has done, God says, guess what? You get victory over your greatest enemy, sin, death, and eternity separated from me. You don't have to have that reality. You can have life through Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you need to accept Jesus. Guess what? You don't need to come talk to me. You don't need to talk to your neighbor. You just need to talk to God. 
and say, God, I know that my sin separates you. I know I'm a sinner. And I know, God, that, that Jesus actually came and he lived a sinless life and he died for me. But yet on the third day, he rose again and he gave us life. And I, I believe that and I want that. God, in, in whatever shape or form you say that, if you believe it in your heart, God will hear you and God will give you life today. Christian, let's live in reality that, that we don't have to look at our past and hold on to it and be condemned by it and be defined by it, but we get to move past it because of what Jesus has done. Would you worship? Would you make a move? Would you take a step? Would you not leave here today just being a hearer of the word of God, but a doer of the word of God?